welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Support for this episode is brought to you by the Headset app. Are you looking for a simple solution for coach to catcher communication for the season that doesn't require bulky hardware in the dugout? Traditional communication gear can be a headache to set up and carry from game to game. But what if there's a game-changing solution? Introducing the Headset app, your new MVP in communication for coaches and catchers. Enjoy crystal clear, ultra HD audio without the major league price tag. It's compatible with any Bluetooth headset or earbuds. Say goodbye to tangled wires and extra hardware. Ready to step up to the plate? Download the Headset app for free today. Getting started is as easy as a home run trot. Create your account, invite your team, and start calling pitches. The Headset app is ready for download in the App Store and on Google Play. Swing for the fences and download today to get a five-day free trial. And for a limited time, use ABCA24 when you buy your pass for next season and save 10%. Find out more at theheadsetapp.com. Always an exciting time with all levels of college baseball going. Happy opening week of Division I baseball. Next up on the ABCA podcast is our Division I preview. I give our sports writers a lot of credit for the work they put in behind the scenes the entire year to help grow in the game of baseball. We start things off with Craig Cozart from Perfect Game. After that, we check in with D1Baseball.com's Aaron Fit. Then we hand it over to Teddy Cahill from Baseball America, and we finish it off with D1Baseball.com's Mike Rooney. As a lifelong fan of college baseball, this is always an exciting time of the year for me. Let's welcome everyone to the podcast. All right, here with Craig Cozart in office. This is awesome because this is year two of you coming in. I don't get to have many people in here, so yeah. thanks for coming coming uh, by. Yeah, Ryan, I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, letting me come in for the second consecutive years. It's fun. Yeah, I mean, how has it been for you? Are you you feel like you're settled in? Yeah, you, you guys cover so much stuff. Do you feel yeah. like you're finally getting settled in with what you're doing? I do. Um, you know, they've kind of given me a lot of latitude as far as what I do. You know, obviously we have the the fixtures, you know, the tournaments that we have to cover, the showcases that we have to do. Um, but outside of that, um, you know, Darren Sutton and I with Hunter Pence have started doing a weekly telecast. 
Um, and then from a college standpoint, me and Vinny Servino really, you know, kind of run crazy with it. And it's, I mean, it's, it's great. It's a lot of fun and, and, you know, what a privilege to be able to cover the college game right now. I mean, we're in the golden age of college baseball, so, um, it's a beautiful time to be able to dive into it. Did you think that was the best world series field we had had last year? I think if you look top to bottom, you have to say it's it's pretty darn close, right? Um, at least in the BB, BB Core era, right? Um, you know, I can remember the days of Cal State Fullerton and USC when it seemed like it was twenty four to sixteen, and it was just an unbelievable, you know, slugfest and fun to watch. Um, but yeah, top to bottom, you know, mound talent. Uh, just you know, when you talk about guys like uh, Cruz and White Langford, I mean, that guys that could be in the big leagues this year, that's pretty special, right? Man, and, and talking about that, just looking through, you guys came out with your top 25. That's got to be hard trying to pick who's going to be one this year, right? Because I, I, we had a, a lunch um, the other day with the office, and somebody was with us, our, our advisor, and, and he goes, who do you think is, is going to win it? And I put Florida up there yep. just from what they've got coming back. But it's so hard with those top eight schools – of, of who might win the thing just because right. they all have so much talent. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you. We spent weeks agonizing over the top ten. Um, people think we just kind of throw stuff up and go with what's popular or whatever, regional. No, I mean, we we have a system that we use. Uh, we put a points value on uh, returning starters, on returning All-Americans, on uh, incoming class, uh, transfer class. And, you know, we dive into it that deep to try to figure out, you know, who legitimately is national title contenders. Um, so, you know, there was a definite case for all five that you talked about. Um, you know, we went with Wake Forest 1 simply because of their you know what they have from a pitching standpoint is amazing. Josh Hartle, I, I think he's underrated. That guy was a workhorse last year. I do uh, too. You know, eleven and two with hundred plus innings. Um, you know, the guy just pitches. Um, and then you're going to see Chase Burns, and you're going to see Michael Massey. Uh, then they land Seaver King. Uh, of course, Nick Kurtz is coming back um, now. Like any team, there's some concerns, and you know what does the the bottom of their lineup look like, right? Um, they got to have some guys step up, but uh, but they're special. But I agree, Florida it was in that discussion. Arkansas is really sneaky. Uh, this could be Dave Han- Dave Van Horn's uh, you know best club yet, um, you know because they're going to have three first rounders on the mound. Um, so you know, it, it, have people forgotten about them I a think, little bit? I feel like, you know, <laughs> isn't it crazy? crazy? Yeah, but I mean, if if you really dive into it, um, you know, they have Hagen Smith, Brady Tigart, and then they get Mason Molina to transfer in from Texas Tech. All three of those are legitimate first round picks, and then you return Kendall Diggs and Peyton Stovall, who are you know gritty veterans, um, and then uh, Aloy, the transfer from Sac State. Uh, you know, he's a legit guy. He had 15 home runs last year as a, as an infielder. So, um, you know, we felt like we it came down to three for us. It was Wake Forest, Arkansas, um, and LSU. And our concerns with LSU was Gage Jump. We don't know what he is because he didn't pitch last year, um, and he's going to be their game three starter. Obviously, Thatcher Hurd is sensational, and Luke Hallman transferring in from Alabama is absolutely special. Uh, but who's going to protect Tommy White? They lost six everyday starters out of that lineup, and people don't want to hear that, but that's a legitimate deal. Tommy White hit 600 with Dylan Cruz in front of him, right? So, you know, Trey Morgan gives him that insulation last year. So Tommy White's sensational. It's not about whether or not he's going to be good again. It's about who's going to protect him and force him to see pitches. You know, out this way, you know, NC State, you know, they have the COVID year and 
seems like they're kind of getting it, but it seems like everybody's high on the East Coast on NC State. Yeah. Um, I got to see them several times this fall. This is a deep pitching staff as they've had in a decade. Um, so they're going to have a lot of fun in February just trying to figure out what their rotation is going to look like. Uh, a little insider trader information. Looks like Highfield might be back on Friday initially. Uh, Dom Fritton is absolutely special. He's healthy, um, you know, and uh, his, his, you know, he's a lefty that's 90 to 94 with 20 plus inches of ride. Um, and uh, I think they may put Marone, uh, the freshman lefty, uh, in game three. But, I mean, they just have a ton of options. And it's – it's you, you'll you go to scrimmages and you can watch, you know, two and three days of scrimmages and see 12 to 14 arms and none of them are going to throw a fastball below 91. Um, you know, so Coach Avent, you know, he's got to be very excited. Uh, now it's about the offense, right? You know, they're going to have to rely on some transfers. Basically the entire infield is transfers. Um, but, uh, you know, Makarevich is a, is a veteran. Pennington was special last year at Wichita State. He's going to hit 20-plus home runs in Raleigh uh, just because he's got crazy juice. Um, you know, and then Butterfield uh, is going to be a tremendous shortstop. To me, he's the best defensive shortstop they've had probably since Trey Turner. Now maybe I'm saying a lot. And an intriguing move, they're moving Serrano to center field. Um, um, so, yeah, definitely NC State's the team to uh, watch closely. I mean, you've been in North Carolina for how long now? 15 years. Is this the best the state's ever been yeah, from top to bottom? it's so deep. It really, really is. It's you know, crazy. It's almost like people, you know, and I feel guilty a little bit like we're talking about Campbell as an afterthought, but they're a legitimate super regional contender. Um, you know, so uh, they've got – Real arms. I as saw always. Charlotte this fall. Charlotte's yeah. got arms. Yeah. And they were one win away last year, right? they got a good year, schedule right? to start, too. I just looked. Right. They've got, I think, West Virginia's coming in. They've yeah. got Virginia Tech at home. I think yeah. they've got two really good weekends to start the year yeah. at Charlotte. Well, and then East, East Carolina, obviously. You know, this is probably the highest people have been on East Carolina in the last two or three years. And Savage is a legit Friday night guy. They're not going to lose on Friday with that guy going out there. Um, so, yeah, you just keep on going. Wilmington's going to be great again. They've, they're going to be very offensive. Um, so, so, you know, Duke, you know, they could make a case for having the best pitching staff in the nation, um, you know, when you look at it. So, uh, and then UNC is very balanced. Um, so it's it's pretty interesting. You know, you're talking about, uh, when you're talking about just the ACC schools alone, um, you know, there, there's legitimately four teams that could contend for Omaha. And I, I do like that the Hawkeyes got stuck in there, too, because yeah. I, um, shout out I, to I wouldn't Coach say Heller. stuck in there. I, no, they're not. You know, they, 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 that, <laughs> Brody Breck at the top. That. <laughs> you know, I saw – I got to sit in on him at USA Trials last summer. I mean, it's it's an explosive fastball, but the slider is the best in the nation. I mean, it is so late. It's so abrupt. He throws it with conviction. He lands that more for strikes than he did his fastball, at least last year. But, you know, he's eliminated the football stuff. Uh, to me, he's the Paul Skeens of this year. That's my call is that Brody Brecht is going to put together the type of numbers that uh, Paul Skeens did last year. But, you know, also we got Marcus Morgan, who's a, you know, a power mid-90s arm. And then Obermuller is arguably the nastiest guy. Now, is he going to, you know, throw the ball on the plate enough? That's the question. Um, but There's some bloodlines yeah. with his dad, too, because yeah. his dad pitched at Iowa before it, I got there so Wes his dad it was great on you don't get a chance to breathe with that pitching staff and they're so athletic defensively um you know they're not going to bludgeon the ball they're not going to hit a ton of home runs uh but they can manufacture runs there's always they're always going to pressure the opposing defense um the left side of their infield is probably the cleanest 
left side of the, you know, I think they fielded a combined 980 last year. Um, you know, so they're going to play great defense and they're going to manufacture runs with the occasional home run. So Iowa, they've got a great shot to, to be a super regional team at least. Uh, I think you're going to see that Iowa hosts a regional for yep. this year. My hope is Stanford gets back to mm-hmm. the World Series. That'd be four years in a row. Yes. Which I mean, how many programs can say that in the last twenty years that have been yeah. to Omaha four years in a row? I mean, I'm I'm very vocal about you know Dave Esker and how much I like him, and I think I, you know he's the player whisperer. It seems like everybody that goes there uh, gets better. But I feel like they're in a pretty interesting time as a program. Um, you know, not to focus on the negative, but to lose a player like Braden Montgomery, who's you know going to be a top of the first round pick, uh, you know, an impact bat as well as an impact arm uh, to an SEC program isn't a great narrative, but um, you know. Braden's family is is from Mississippi, so the opportunity to get back home helps. But that's a tough player to lose. And then you have the transition into the ACC and how unusual that's going to be. So, you know, I think Dave Esker has a, you know, a pulse of what has to be done, but it's going to be a very interesting next couple of years for them. And I'm right there with you. I mean, they've gone three years in a row. He always figures out a way. So I'm, I'm hoping that they're in for a fourth. Did I see where UC Santa Barbara is coming out this way? At some point, they are opening up at Campbell. I That's believe. right. Opening weekend. Yes, yeah, that is correct. Um, They're at Campbell. So you know, you're talking about arm after arm after arm. But you know, uh, Coach Check, it's uh, to me. And I was thinking about this today. He uh, exemplifies what a baseball program is supposed to be, right? Uh, he gets his players in there. He sticks with them. He develops them. Uh, players stay. They're committed to him. Um, it's a really unique deal in today's day and time with the transfer portal and NIL. Um, but when you talk about Hudson Barrett and Matt Ager, those are two uh, you know preseason All Americans. Who's going to open up with you know uh, their one and two that are pure power? Ager's fastball is you know one of the top five fastballs in the nation. Um, you know, so they're not going to lose a series because Barrett and Ager aren't going to let them lose. A series, so, uh, but yeah, there got this. There should be a lot of people flocking to Bowie's Creek to see that uh, opening weekend for sure. You know, with all these older guys, we talked about this at the convention at one of the dinners. It's really hard for freshmen to get on the field unless they're like guys, guys. Mm-hmm. So, what are some of the freshmen out there that are probably going to be contributing? Yeah, right away? Um, you know, it, it's it's really interesting. Like the sophomore class is absolutely insane, um, but if you look at the freshman class. Um, you know, there's some really good guys. Cam Johnson is who you start with at LSU. He he could be, uh, you know, the defensive end for the football team at six foot five, two fifty. Um, I've been hearing great things about his refined delivery. Um, you know, Coach Yeski's there now, um, and so he's implementing his systems. Um, but upper nineties fastball with a power slider tremendous competitor, physical presence, and he's surrounded by, you know, enough veterans that he's going to be able to ease his way into it. So that's the guy you look at first. I'm hearing Drew Burris is the best player on the field for Georgia Tech. That's what all the scouts are saying. They walked away from their scout day and their fall scrimmage is saying Drew Drew Burris is the best player right now. Now, that's not a knock on what Georgia Tech has on their roster. That's just a credit to them getting a guy like Drew Burris on campus who very well could have been a first-rounder if he'd wanted to. Um, Liam Peterson – Upper 90s, six foot six, 210 pound righty at um, at University of uh, Florida in Gainesville has a chance to break into the rotation. Um, it's pure power stuff, and he's a he's a strike thrower, you know, at a high level. So that's what Sully's going to expect. He's not going to just roll somebody out there just because they have a great arm. Um, and then a guy that I think is going to be, you know, have a huge year, and he's going to, you know. 
I think he can handle the workload as Ryder Helfrich at, at uh, the catcher at Arkansas. You know, obviously Arkansas has a long history of of bringing along and developing uh, guys behind the dish. So, you know, I think that he uh, he can definitely be a guy that you look at the end of the year, and you know, he's starting in the SEC. He's a freshman All American, and and maybe the most polished and most ready guy of the group is uh, Rock Chalowski out at, at um, UCLA. Uh, could have been a first rounder, but he made it known that you know what, I'm going to school, and uh, it's just it's you know it's very comprehensive. He's his Understanding for the speed of the game, his mature approach at the plate. Uh, you know, he's a gold glove type fielder. And UCLA is going to be back in a big way this year. Uh, they have arms like no tomorrow. They're going to start a lot of freshmen. Uh, John Savage is a, a wizard when it comes to, you know, young staffs and putting guys uh, in, the, in the right places to be successful. So uh, you're going to see UCLA back in a big way this year. Are we going to see that more and more now with NIL where we're going to see more kids turn down the draft to go to school? I do. I think you're, you're definitely on that. Um, because when you talk about what a kid can get over a three-year period NIL-wise, then it's comparable to you know what a, a guy would typically attract from a signing bonus standpoint. Um, and, and they're getting closer to graduating then too. That's right. Well, but you and I know as good as anybody – the development just emotionally and physically in a secure environment um, is really valuable. Uh, most kids are not ready, uh, both physically and emotionally, to go into professional baseball, um, especially if they're massive uh, signing bonus babies where all of a sudden, you know, the world is at their feet because there's no financial restraints or constraints, you know. So you have to be a really special guy to say, yeah, this is uh, what we're doing. Um, I, I think about Walker Jenkins. That guy was so mature, so professional in his life in every aspect. There was no doubt that guy was ready. Uh, and you saw what he did, right? He rolled right into double A and said, okay, I'm still hitting 300. Guess what? Uh, you know, so that's the kind of guy it takes to sign out of high school. Well, and Jackson Holiday too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's his meteoric rise is amazing. And I know uh, to be able to handle, you know, you can't turn on MLB Network and not hear his name. Uh, and Roberto so, Mercado is a good friend. He yeah. was their manager. He, he said it was like the Beatles. Yeah. The following that he has, he, I guess. So, and he yeah. said he handled it as good as anybody could handle yeah. it, just with the amount of attention sure. that he got and handled it with mm -hmm. grace and class. He says the most amazing thing he's yeah. ever seen. I've been able to hang out with Matt at a bunch of events uh, that my sons have played at, USA Trials or whatever it might be. And, and you know, he's just so grounded as a person. Uh, he and his wife are tremendous. Um, they get it. And to have, obviously, a dad uh, that played as long as he did in professional baseball and to have a granddad, uh, you know, who's been in the college game forever, um, you know, it, it's not a surprise, but you can't take it for granted either, right? You really don't know when, when it's all said and done when, you know, a kid hits the big time like that and literally everybody's clamoring just to get a look. You know, how do they handle that? You just never really know. Um, so it's amazing to handle all of his sons, how they've handled uh, the expectations. And that allows then seniors to come back then too, the NIL money, correct? Yeah, that's right. To not have to go out. Oh, yeah. You, you got that part of it yeah. as well. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, you look at a team like Kansas State, they really benefited strongly from that. I mean, Pete Hughes is very, very 
quietly and not so quietly sometimes and because rightfully so he you know they had an issue last year without you know with not getting an NCAA bid um but he's putting together a really special situation there um and you know they have really really exciting players but they had I'm trying to remember exactly who it was um that they had uh let's see here well Kalen Culpepper and Tyson Neighbors are going to be first rounders uh, Kalen Culpepper is one of the most exciting position players that I've seen in a long long time and Neighbors has the best curveball I've ever witnessed in college. Uh, I mean, it's a legit 84 to 87 mile an hour, 12 to 6 hammer. Um, but Brady Day was a 12th round pick and came back to school. And then uh, their lefty, uh, Friday night guy, Owen, I think it's Barama is how you say it, uh, he had plenty of free agent opportunities to go out and play, but he came back as well. So, you know, that speaks volume to Pete Hughes and what he's building there. Um, and Kansas State's going to be dangerous this year. Very, very dangerous. They're explosive. They're talented. They got really good offensive pieces back uh, or from th- through the uh, transfer portal. So uh, watch out for Kansas State. <clears throat> and you mentioned Nate Yeski. I mean, is that the most important move for the coaching carousel outside of some of the head coaching moves? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that that was, you know, that was somewhat of a coup for Jay Johnson uh, to pull Yeski from within the league, um, you know. So, but they had worked together, right? I mean, that's a big part so of it. They had worked no doubt, together. yeah, familiarity and and you know uh, comfort and, um, but uh, you know, obviously that's a, another draw and appeal and and people were saying that you know, well, the pitching staff's going to excel. You know, it takes a little bit of time to implement a system. Um, the fall is not enough time to fully implement a system and teach, uh, you know, guys, uh, you know, the, the, the value of what he brings to the table. Um, so, you know, he's great, but it's going to take time. Um, but that time is always uh, truncated when you have the talent that they're uh, able to pick from, right? Will we see somebody make Omaha this year that we haven't seen? <sighs> you know, I feel like the top, and you mentioned it right at the beginning, uh, the top 10 is, is, is so heavy um, and so dominated. What is it? Five of the top 10 from the SEC, eight of the top 25, 11 out of our top 40 are uh, from the SEC. The ACC has six and eight in the top 40, and then the big 12. Um, you know, I think that if things fall right, I think that ECU has that opportunity. Cliff Godwin Any has that team. Any of those schools, yeah. if you said, yeah, they're going to make it, I'm like, yeah. okay, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I would love 25. to see Gary Gilmore make a return, obviously, in his swan song, right? Um, but I feel like uh, you might want to watch out for Dallas Baptist. Um, they kind of, you know, well, they, they dominated the league last year, Conference USA. Their they first dominated year. Oklahoma State. Yeah. We were at our site visit in Dallas in Dallas last year, midweek, and okay. they got after Oklahoma State in the yeah. midweek. I mean, and to me, I feel like they have Ryan Johnson, who's one of the most uncomfortable intimidating arms that's out there because he doesn't reach that classic balance position. He, he changes timing. He, <clears throat> excuse me, he basically slide steps the home plate from the windup and then it's 94 to 98 with a, a I mean, a wipeout slider. Um, so that guy sets an unbelievable tone and uh, the three middle of the order sticks that return for Dallas Baptist have, they're returning 55 home runs. So, uh, they're going to bludgeon the baseball. They're known for developing their hitters. Um, and obviously Ryan Johnson, you know, just sets the tone as a preseason All-American and a USA member um, that uh, I think that they have a great shot. So who are you putting in national champs then? I went with TCU. Love so 
you know, <clears throat> what Kirk Sarloos has done, uh, what his first year wins with the uh, Big 12 regular season, and then the following year takes him to Omaha. I felt like that those guys, uh, they got enough of a taste um, and they have enough of the you know quality pieces around them uh, that they're a team that I think is going to be able to to make that. Cole Klecker is going to be better than he was last year. Obviously, he got better as the season went last year. Zach Morris, Peyton Tolley, uh, the transfer from Wichita State, and Ben Hampton are all in the mix. And then Anthony Silva is the best shortstop in the nation. So you're strong up the middle. Carson Bowen uh, was at USA Trials behind the plate. Um, so you know, and then this guy could be the one that actually delivers them as, as Peyton Chantier from the, uh, the transfer from Ole Miss. Uh, he is a fifth-year guy. He is a fifth-year um, guy. You know, yep. his his power production has gone up drastically in the last two years. However, his batting average has gone down in the last two years. But I remember seeing that guy when I was still coaching. He was there with Ole Miss when they won the national championship. Sometimes a guy like that can bring an element to a team that's close that can kind of get them over the top. And I think – it, he's going back home. He's a he's a Texas kid, uh, so I think he's set up to have a massive year, one of the biggest impact transfers, and he could bring that element to TCU that gets them over the top. So TCU was my pick for national champs. What else are you looking forward to to start of the season? You know, well, there's a ton of really interesting, uh, you know, tournaments in the early season. But I, I don't feel like we've ever seen as much parity. And I think we said this last year, the parity just continues to grow year in and year out. Um, and I don't know if you can say it's just a power five anymore. Um, the Sunbelt Conference that's a power five conference in baseball, isn't it? Uh, you know, I think you have to start looking around at these different leagues and say, wow, you know what? They're well, Southeast Louisiana is coming over to play in the Claire class. Are they? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. With, so, with Cal State Fullerton. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so yeah. And, Cal and State, Purdue's yeah. in that thing. So yeah. that, that's going to be a really good term. I think that's no, yeah. the first weekend of March. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's what I'm really interested to see is how many of these non-power five uh but great traditional programs you know continue to climb uh what troy did last year was amazing they have a great club coming back next year uh you know the Sun Belts is is tough um you know what is georgia southern going to do this year uh it, you know how's campbell going to react to going to the colonial um you know so those are some of the things that are that are very interesting um you know where is oregon in all of this i felt like they were right on the on the tip last year and, and obviously they ran into uh or Robertson, an amazing uh, club. How's Will Roberts going to bounce back, right? Because they still have pieces. Um, so that's what I'm really intrigued to see is, is you know what, how do these teams come out of the shoot? Um, how does the scheduling impact what's going on? And I know the committee's now going to have uh, some different uh, analytics that they're looking at when it comes to the selection process, not to get way ahead of ourselves, um, but they're going to be following some of the same analytics that college basketball does. Um, it's not necessarily going to be the deciding factor, but they're going to be exposed to that information. Um, and they're going to have information on their wins and losses at uh, much more depth, uh, you know, one through 60 and 61 through 100 and, and things like that. So, you know, teams have got to do a good job of scheduling. Um, and uh, because it's getting more and more difficult to get that all at large bid. But I, I feel like there's 75 teams that we really strongly considered for top 25 contention, much less the top 40. Um, and the fan base is crazy. Uh, college baseball is so popular. I mean, we had over 2 million views on our preseason top 25 graphic on, on Twitter. 2 million, right? And, uh, you know, we had a lot of people emailing us, you know, telling us we're really stupid. <laughs> 
uh, you know, and we love the passionate fan bases, you know, and we'll, we're always more than willing to answer uh, and say, hey, you know, this is why we arrived at the conclusions that we did. Um, you know, we agonize over it. We put a ton, a ton of effort and energy into it. It's not just something that we come up with in 30 minutes. Um, so it's fun. Does the transfer portal, I mean, it's not going away. I mean, no. is there a way to tweak it? Is there a mid-major school? And Oral Roberts is a good example of that. They, I think the transfer rule helped them a lot because yeah. they always got bounce backs from Oklahoma, yeah. Oklahoma State. And you saw it last year with their squad. They'd been doing mm-hmm. that. They have some homegrown guys. They do a really good job developing over Absolutely. there. Absolutely. You know, for me, if uh, somebody's on the outside looking in, is there a way to tweak? Does junior college come back? Because, I mean, junior college is getting younger and younger again. Mm-hmm. COVID guys are gone. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think of ways. If there's an outlier way to recruit right now that, that maybe somebody's not capitalizing on, I just don't know. Yeah, I think everything's been pretty well exhausted. Um, you know, and people are finding their niche, so to speak. Um, you know, when it's all said and done, there's really only – 10 to 12 players at the highest level when it comes to NIL. Um, it doesn't go 25, 30, 40 teams deep, right? Um, and so there are clubs that are doing a great job with the bounce backs, right? Um, or clubs that are just kind of patient. Um, uh, I think what you are seeing is that the high school recruiting is much lighter. And, of course, the you know moving the date back helps. But a lot of teams are very methodical in their high school recruiting uh, because they're like, you know what, I've got a shot to grab a kid that's 21 rather than bringing in an 18-year-old and, and trying to help him figure it out and, and accelerate the process. Uh, but I don't think the NIL is going anywhere anytime soon. Um, but, you know, you would like to see that um, maybe there's a cap. Um, you know, and I, and I think we're going to get to that point. Yeah, that makes what, sense. what it looks like. Is it 40? Is it 45? Do you have to name your roster as soon as yeah. I, I'm a proponent of you have to name your roster as soon as fall starts, right? I think that levels everything back out. Oh, I agree. Yeah. It's just, everybody's in a hard spot with where the draft is right now. Sure. Yeah. Well, and you know, and I know we're getting off path a little bit here, but, um, you know, when you talk about the NIL, uh, if you looked at the, the, what happened with football, uh, in the playoffs, it's a bad product, right? You have guys that were being paid millions of dollars uh, to help their team be competitive all the way to the end, and they're they're you know not playing because of the the draft. So you know, I would I would if I was a booster, I'd say, hey, we need to prorate that. You know what? We paid him one point five million. I want two hundred fifty thousand back because you know what? He didn't play in the bowl game when we lost, and we looked. It was a bad product. So I think you know it's a slippery slope. Um, but I mean, it it is it's very aggressive right now. Um, but I will tell you this: that um, it's allowing players that are blue chip um, not make decisions based. On money, it's it's very few of them because nobody's worried about paying to go to school anymore at a power five level. No, nobody's paying to go to school anymore, right? Uh, between the scholarships and the academics and the NIL money, now that's no longer an issue. So uh, these blue chip guys are legitimately diving into, hey, what is this program about? What is the essence of it? Um, and I've talked about this a couple times. You know, Wake Forest didn't buy Chase Burns, and that's not a knock on Tennessee, but. Wake Forest has a tremendous resource in that lab, and Chase Burns wanted to have that available to him to get to know his body better, to understand how his body moves, and refine his, uh, you know, his delivery on the mound. Um, and you saw the results of it. I mean, he's, you know, I heard his first outing uh, this spring. He was ninety-eight to one hundred two. 
Um, so with a 92, 93 mile an hour slider. So, you know, each team is getting those elite level players, not because of money, but because they legitimately have shown that player, Hey, this is the best place for you to come to be developed. What else you pay attention to this spring before I let you go? Oh, what else? Let's see here. Um, I don't know if there's anything, you know, really jumping out. Um, I know yeah, my purple aces are getting some love early, so Evansville's <laughs> yeah. got a lot back. So, yeah, Coach Kara, let's get it going and over they, there they in were, the Midwest. Yeah, they were fun to watch last year. Um, I really want to see, you know, I talked about the sophomore class. Uh, we talked about uh, Jay Slaviolette last year, and, you know, he obviously answered the call with 21 home runs and 63 RBIs. But I feel like that sophomore class is insane with offensive players. Ethan Petrie, Ike Irish, Cam Canarella, Cameron Smith, uh, those are our top five right there. And, I mean, those guys are elite. I mean, what Petri did, you know, did last year as a freshman in the middle of that order uh, with 23 home runs and 75 RBIs. I want to see how those guys that had unbelievable freshman years follow up on their sophomore year because, you know, sometimes it it doesn't go that way. Um, you know, I'm not picking on Vance Honeycutt. I'm the biggest Vance Honeycutt fan in the world, but, you know, he had an unbelievable freshman year and I think he got nicked up a little bit last year and, and you know, his production wasn't quite what it was in the previous year. Um, and, you know, he's still... Sophomore art- slumps are yeah. real thing. Well, it, and, you it, know, it, he's, he's still thing. arguably the, 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 yes. <laughs> the, the best five-tool player out there. There is no better outfield. If you're going to draw it up how someone looks like, it's Vance it's, Honeycutt. No that's, that's exactly what you want that yeah, to look yeah. like. So I, I'm interested to see how that sophomore class follows up, uh, you know, their sensational years. And then, and then you know, there's a massive separation at the top with the junior prospects when you talk about J.J. Weatherholt, Nick Kurtz, Travis Bazana, um, and, you know, maybe Vance Honeycutt, uh, if not Braden Montgomery. So to see how those guys put up numbers, um, Weatherholt hit 449 last year. People want to talk about, you know, he almost hit 450, right? And, uh, you know, with uh, 60 RBIs, 36 stolen bases. And I think he walked twice as much as he struck out. Um, so, you know, that's the, that's the guy that's 1-1 going into this. And if he, you know, comes close to duplicating last year's numbers, I think he goes off the board first. Thanks for your time, Craig. I yeah, appreciate absolutely. coming Thanks in. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Enjoyed it. All right, here with Aaron Fit, D1 Baseball. Uh, one of the trio is on with me. We had scheduling issues, so doing some things separately this year, which is good, but I always love talking to you, Aaron. Yeah, good to be with you, my friend. Always good briefly to see you at the convention. What were some of your thoughts coming out of the convention? Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of excitement, obviously, for the season, like, like there always is. There's a lot of, um, you know, maybe apprehension is the word about kind of some of the some of the issues that we're having to deal with uh, in college athletics in general, not just in baseball, but I mean, certainly, you know, the, the portal and the NIL stuff has just transformed the landscape of our sport so much, just like it has every other sport. And, and I think everyone's still trying to kind of wrap their, their arms around all that stuff. And so it feels like that's still like the dominant topic of conversation when you go to these things. Um, and obviously some programs have done very, very well in, in the portal era and others are still kind of trying to f- find their footing. And so I think it's going to continue to be uh, a major issue going forward. And, and we'll kind of, you know, see where, where it goes once we get more um, transparency, I think about the NIL process in particular. Any concern? I mean, you're a lifelong college baseball fan. Do you have any concerns? I mean, I've got my own opinions on it, but. Yeah, I mean it's you know, obviously you, you you worry about losing some of the um the soul of the game when 
you know, it's basically free agency now. And if players can transfer twice, even even more so. And you know what? I mean, I'm I'm not opposed to letting players transfer because it's only fair, frankly. I mean, especially we're, we're a partial scholarship sport, even more so. It, it's always seemed kind of ridiculous to tell a kid, oh, well, you got to sit out of your degree to transfer. You're on 10% or 25%, whatever it is. Um, you know, coaches I, freely move. I mean, that's a thing. Like, yeah, coaches exactly. Exactly. And if I'm a, you know, if I'm a, t- a trombone prodigy, you know, I can transfer from one school to another and all I want. So why, why can't athletes do the same? So, I mean, from a fairness standpoint, it, I think it's the right thing to do. I mean, if we're, we're concerned about student athlete welfare, this is definitely good for the student athlete in general. Uh, but it's it it definitely creates challenges for the sport, and it makes it probably harder for for fans to to follow their team when they there's going to be so much roster turnover year over year. But that's just the reality that we've got to get used to. I'm happy that four games in the fall is, is back on the table. Yeah. That's big. I, me, I totally agree. I don't know why it went away. Um, I, you know, because softball's been able to do that. I don't know why it went away. I no. actually took games off our spring schedule to play fall, four fall dates when you oh. could, uh, just because we weren't going to get all of our games in with the weather that we dealt with in Macomb. But I, I just feel like the more that they can play in the fall, the better it is for yeah. everybody. I don't see any downside to it. I really don't. I never understood why baseball had two, and we had to fight and scrap and claw just to get two. Um, and softball didn't softball have eight? Uh, I don't even know, I don't know well, that, what they, that number what is. What they do but... is they get four dates, but they'll use double headers for those. Ah, okay. For those days okay. Is, yeah. Is so doing with those. Well, back yeah, in I mean, college baseball in the old days, you could play as many games as you want in the spring. That's that's right. That's right. So it's, Gene it's Stevenson, a... some of those guys, you know, they they'd get you know seventy wins. That's right. You look at those win totals in the '80s, and it's like, what in and the shout world? Shout out to Mike Martin Senior, you know, and, and, and sorry for the Florida State community with, with all of that. But he was one of those guys that benefited yeah. when you look at some of his records that he had early on. Is no he doubt had some 56, 60 win seasons in there. Yeah, no which doubt is still about hard it. for me to believe his his rec- forty years over two thousand wins. <laughs> like, I, that's crazy to me that he won that many games. It's it's really insane. It's insane. I mean, it's it's just there's no other way For to put it. For those of us that coach college baseball, been around college baseball to see what he did year in and year out. I don't care that they played a lot of home games. You still got to win those games. Yeah, yeah. If, and if you're, I mean, again, to go forty straight years without ever missing a regional. I mean, come on. Like it's just a, it's almost impossible. How can you not have a down year once in a while? You know. Yes. Yep. Just kept it rolling. Were you able yeah. to get out much this fall? Yeah, yeah, I saw a lot this fall as usual. It's kind of my bread and butter, really. I love getting on those those fall road trips. But I made uh, uh, I made a, a, a nor- nice northeast swing. Saw some teams up that way: northeastern Yukon, BC. Um, I, I made a nice trip through uh, Oklahoma, Kansas, Arkansas, that part of the country. I did a uh, it's my usual Alabama, Mississippi, you know, Georgia run down that way. South Carolina, Virginia, Maryland. So yeah, I mean, I, I covered a lot of ground. Saw, saw a lot of good baseball. Who was the best player you saw this fall? Best player I saw this fall. Um, that's a. I mean, I guess Ethan Petrie is the first one that comes to mind, just because he's such a stud at South Carolina. Um, I mean, he's you know, we have him ranked as the the best outfielder in the whole country. You know, I just think he's. Uh, I was just on a show in Columbia right before this, and I I compared him to, to Chris Bryant. Oh, and, wow. and I still, I know that's, I know oh, that's wow. lofty, you know, it's maybe that's not fair, but I mean, you know, he's, he honestly, he's, he's a better player at, at this age than Bryant was at the same age. And Bryant was a great player for three years, but I mean, I think Petrie's a freshman was better than Bryant as a freshman. Uh, but it's a similar kind of, you know, body type, 
and athleticism, that kind of six four long strider, runs better than you think, can really throw, has huge power and and you know, and also barrel awareness. And I I just think he's a he's a really, really special talent. I think we're seeing more barrel awareness come back for the hitters now. I think that's why you're yeah. seeing offensive numbers jump back up too. I think it's a it's a good point. Yeah. And you, you see better two strike approaches, I feel like in a, in a lot of cases and and you know I don't know. I, I think that the art of hitting uh, for a while there, it felt like everyone was just chasing the, the home run, you know, the, the launch angle and they will take the swing and miss with it. And, and, and there's still certainly plenty of that because the analytics say that, you know, the value of a home run is so, so great. But, uh, but I do feel like, um, you know, you're, you're seeing more of these top guys that also control the zone better. What about best arm this fall? Uh, best arm I saw this fall. Um, you know, Florida State had a couple that jumped out right away. Cam Leiter and, and, and Gavin Adams, two newcomers uh, that both were, you know, upper 90s guys. Look, look, look really good to me. Um, I, I would say those were the, the first two that, that kind of come to mind. I mean, that's, you know, they, they really did a great job transforming their, their club with the, um, with the transfer portal and the JUCO, you know, the JUCO additions as well. I mean, it's one silver lining. You miss the ACC tournament. You get a, you get a head start on that roster building for the next year. And, uh, and they did it. I mean, I think it'd be a much different team than they were last year, but it starts with those two arms, Cam Leiter and, and Gavin Adams. Do you think teams are starting to get caught back up with, with everything that's going on with the transfer portal? Cause it seems like the teams that historically had done it kind of in house, maybe it took them a little bit to get it figured yeah. out. And now they're starting to get it figured out. Yeah, and there's still it's interesting because there's still some programs out there that still kind of you know mostly stick to their freshman and development strategy, um, and you wonder you know how long is that are they gonna be able to do that right? Especially like if you're a place like Louisville, where they've they've done that so well for so long, and a big part of the fabric of their program is guys have to wait their turn. And then, you know, maybe you redshirt even, or maybe you just play sparingly. And then when you're maybe your third year in the program before you get to become an everyday guy and, and they've turned those guys into stars. Um, you know, that's, that's been a big part of their MO and it's guys passing the baton to the next, you know, the next guy. And, and, you know, one guy learns how to play shortstop, you know, I mean, whether it's Hairston learning from, you know, whoever nap nap chick learning from him, and you know, starting at second base, and then sliding over to short when it's his turn. I mean, guys are, are willing to kind of wait their turn, and then get their chance. And you, you wonder in today's game if a guy's going to want to wait, or they're just going to go. I mean, like you know, I, I I do. I'll be curious to see how programs like that adapt. You know, Vanderbilt that hasn't done a lot in the transfer portal, um, even at the mid major level. Uh, I mean, like UNC Wilmington, I was talking to those guys and they've kind of stuck to their guns as far as, you know, bringing a lot of freshmen and JUCO guys. They haven't really dabbled much in the, in the portal. Um, you know, are, are they going to be able to continue to do that at, at the mid-major level, the, the high mid-major level? You know, obviously Wilmington's a great program, but um, you would think that, you know, they'd be in danger of getting poached. Um, and so, you know, we'll, we'll kind of we'll kind of monitor that. It'll be interesting to see. Any team surprised you this fall that you weren't expecting in a good way? Yeah, I mean, I think Kansas jumps out to me, um, you know, and it's a team that we 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 still couldn't quite pull the trigger and project them to be a regional team just because the Big 12 looks pretty strong this year um, and the last year before Texas and Oklahoma leave. It's a, it's a good baseball league, but but I kind of think they're a regional team. Uh, another team that I thought did great in the portal, um, you know, the pitching staff. And on the Juco circuit, too. Yes, for sure. They they really did, yeah. I mean, that's a great point. I don't want to overlook that, and and, and even the freshmen. I mean, they've got a freshman arm that they you know 
think could pitch on the weekends for them right away. Um, I like their team. I think they're balanced. I think they're uh, they've got a lot of pitchability on the mound, which you, you certainly look for. I mean, you know, it's easy to fall in love with the the, the lighters and the Adamses throwing ninety seven, ninety eight. But um, you know, they've got guys who throw strikes and are proven winners, like the Reese Dutton kid from from USC Upstate and uh, Grant Adler from Wichita. You know, those guys are strike throwers. They're just. Uh, um, you know, they're not going to blow you away with velocity, but I mean, you stick those two guys in your weekend rotation, and you know, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take my chances with those guys. So, yeah, keep an eye on the Jayhawks. Nice, love it. Yo, know, just looking through the top, you know, 10, 12 teams, obviously, you know, Arkansas, just with the amount of injuries they've had in the past, you know, I don't think you can overcome. I don't care how good your roster is. It seems like it's kind of the same group that that's been there, except for maybe Oregon State and obviously Clemson. But it seems like everybody else has been there for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of uh, you know Wake Forest. I guess it's funny to look up at them at number one and think they've been there before. But yeah, they were in the national semifinals last year. You know, I mean, they they're now uh, a blue blood in college baseball. It's happened pretty quickly. But um, I mean, it's insane with five preseason All Americans on their roster. Uh, you know, you lose a Brock Wilkin and a Rhett Louder and a Sean Sullivan, you know, three All-Americans right there. And you, the next year, you still got five. Uh, it's 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 pretty incredible. And obviously bringing in two of them through the portal with, with Chase Burns and Seaver King. But uh, but yeah, other than that, I mean, it's, it's Florida, it's Arkansas, it's LSU, it's TCU, it's Vandy. It's, you know, these are these are kind of thoroughbreds in college baseball, Texas A&M, Tennessee, um, you know, with certainly with, with their- Barbara's new-ish. Yeah, I mean, been building for a while. I love that I mean, the heck, Eastern's getting some love, and then obviously everybody's really high on Iowa's arms. Yeah, Iowa, you know, Kansas State. Um, it seems like those they, teams. It sounds like they've got a couple guys that have a chance to go in the first round, correct? High end talent, high end talent. Kalen Culpepper at, at shortstop. I love him at third base. We'll see how he does at shortstop, uh, but he's a great, really dynamic athlete physical athlete explosive uh very exciting player and then tyson neighbors best closer of the country you know and it's 95 99 with a hammer uh it's real real stuff so uh and and i love their athleticism in the lineup and their power they're gonna run i mean i talked about kansas i didn't talk about kansas state because i think it's more kind of just accepted that kansas state this is the, this is their year like they're not for me they're not a sleeper this is a team that got snubbed last year for a regional that's hungry um, and they're built, and this should be the best team in a decade. So it does feel like Kansas State, Northeastern, uh, Iowa are kind of those those teams this year that we're, we're putting our chips on that they have kind of banner seasons. Where are you going to be early? I'm going to start at Coastal Carolina. Uh, I've got a good tournament there with Duke, uh, who's number 12 in the country. Um, Indiana, who just missed our preseason top 25. They might have been, might have been team 26. They were really close. Um, and George Mason, who was in a regional last year. So pretty good start, I think, down there. And then I got uh, Globe Life in week two, uh, another strong field out there. And uh, uh, Frisco Classic week three, really good field. So those are my first few weeks. With Culpepper, you know, that that's uh, – everybody thinks, well, you can just dump them over to shore but defensively that position asks a little bit more so yeah i'm sure he'll still light it up but that might be something to pay attention to early is if if offensively he ticks down just a little bit having to switch to shortstop and i'll tell you it's it's 
uh, he's so athletic at third base. Like if you, I saw him the Cape and I was just kind of blown away. Like it, it's, it's a double plus arm. I mean, the, the arm definitely plays it short. It's just a matter of, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a different position. You're right. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a big ask there. I mean, but he's quick, you know, for, for a big kind of thick guy. Uh, he, he, I think he's quick enough. I mean, maybe that's the one thing where he's like, you wonder is, is you know, to move side to side, um, does it have enough range? I, I think he, I think he probably does because, because he's super athletic. So, um, just a highlight reel though at third base, I think that's where he profiles in pro ball. Any other guys jump out this summer in the Cape League? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it was, uh, boy, I don't know where to start there, but yeah, that was, um, another great summer for us. I mean, we had three guys up there with, with me and Joe Healy and David Seifert, um, all kind of, uh, you know, breaking it down together, you know, sh- sharing the league. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I saw, boy, I saw a lot of good players up there. I saw at Hyannis, um, you know, Cable Miller. we talked about Iowa, uh, you know, left-handed power arm that maybe is, is kind of lying in the weeds a little bit. Everyone's excited about Brody Breck, but that guy, Miller's a big breakout candidate with a, ridiculous breaking ball and up to 97 from the left side. Um, you know, Dennis Collar and Northeastern guys on that same club. Uh, I think he's somebody that people have forgotten about because he was a, probably the highest profile recruit they ever had at Northeastern. And then he missed a year with TJ. Uh, but it's, you know, it's gas, man. It's, it's, it's up to 97, 98, some effort there, some funk, but it's a, a wipeout slider to hard power slider. So they, they had some arms up there. I mean, those are just a couple of guys that, that, that kind of stand out to me. Cam Smith is another one. I mean, it's just sting, sting with Hyannis. One of, my, one of my favorite breakout guys this year, Florida state third baseman, um, really came into his own in the second half of the Cape much better approach. He got all the tools. So I think he's got a chance to be an electric player at third base. For people that aren't on this side of the world as we are, I mean, how good is the state of North Carolina? Yeah, it's, it's, it's strong. I mean, you know, there's just so much, so many college baseball teams here, first of all, you know, for, it's not like it's got 30 million people like California. It's a a mid-sized state uh, population wise, but there's what, 20 ish college baseball teams here. I mean, um, and then you got some really good ones with North Carolina and NC state and East Carolina and Duke now, who's become a, you know, three super regionals in the last five completed seasons. Pretty impressive for, for Duke a program that was irrelevant for six decades, really. Uh, and now they're super relevant, you know, so you got those. And of course, Wake Forest, number one in the country. We talked about Charlotte is a projected regional team for us. Wilmington's a projected regional team for us. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a really good baseball state. And then you got South Carolina, Clemson and Coastal doing what they do too. Yeah, absolutely. Three more teams that all feel like regional host caliber clubs, uh, college of Charleston. It feels like they've got a pretty good team this year. It could be kind of a sleeper in the CAA. So, um, the Carolinas are, are very, very good. It's going to be a lot of competition for those host spots out of those two States. And it just kind of shows you too, that, you know, even with the NIL and the transfer portal, you can still, there's still going to be programs out there that, that maybe don't have to do that or they're going to be good too. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, I, I look at the freshman classes for UNC and NC State, um, both top five freshman classes for us with with really good arms, and they're going to lean on those guys. You know, I mean, they're both in both cases, they're really going to need those freshman arms to be good right away, and so it's kind of an opportunity um, to to show that you can build still through the high school ranks. You don't have to just go out and raid the portal. So, who's finishing then? Who's going to win it for you? I picked Arkansas. Um, 
you know, it feels like it's kind of their turn. You know, the SEC is feel like all the other powers have gotten it done now, you know, and it's just like every year it's a different SEC power. Arkansas was so close in 2018, but love them. It's the one team I think that, um, you know, nobody can match Wake Forest's rotation on paper. I mean, you got three preseason All-Americans in your in your rotation at Wake, but Arkansas is, is, comes the closest to matching it. Um, with, with Hagen Smith, who I think is, for my money, is going to be the best pitcher in the country this year. You know, I mean, a physical lefty who's up to 100. Uh, with the white belt slider, I mean, and, and a two-year track record as an SEC starter. I mean, come on, what, what do you want? Uh, it's money in the bank. But, you know, you, you put Brady Tiger in the rotation behind him, a guy who's obviously mid-90s with a hammer. And, um, you know, and Mason Molina, who was a Friday night guy at Texas Tech. He's maybe your Sunday guy at Arkansas. That's a really good rotation. Well, obviously, plenty of depth on the mound. They always hit. You know, they did a good job kind of retooling the lineup with the portal. And Kendall Diggs is, I think, uh, a guy that's going to have a big year as a junior. is kind of your centerpiece there. But uh, the, they got the kid at Vahiva Aloy from Sac State. Great addition. He's going to play shortstop for him. Big power bat there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I just think that, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the number one team in the preseason. And, and last year with LSU was the first time that I can remember that preseason number one actually won at all doesn't happen very often it usually it's the hottest team that wins not the best team and so you know wake forest on paper feels like they're they're the best team heading into this thing but arkansas for me is not far behind them um and uh that's what i'm gonna pick when you all took over d1baseball.com did you see it becoming what it is now um that would have been a a, a, an optimistic view for sure i mean what you guys have done yeah, we we you know I think this is kind of how we we wanted we wanted to envision it going is is uh, we wanted to create a one stop shop for college baseball fans and but the the success that we've had over the last few years really since the pandemic um, has kind of blown me away just the the way the the college baseball community has has embraced us and what we do um, it's it's been very rewarding for sure love it love what you guys are doing any other storylines that you're looking at early on um. Yeah, just the, the, those early season tournaments. I mean, that's the big thing for me. There's just so many really, really good ones. Um, and it's become such a big part of, of college baseball now. You know, I mean, and it always has been, but it feels like now especially you've got between the, the three straight weekends of really good stuff at Globe Life and then all those great peak events, um, you know, with, with Frisco and Round Rock. And now you got Jacksonville's got a great field this year. you got Las Vegas. Um, there's so many opportunities for, for teams to go out there and, and test themselves against good competition those first three weeks of the year. And uh, I love that. And for us, it's a chance to drop in and you see, you know, four real good teams over the course of three days or six good teams in some cases in, in some of those tournaments. Um, it's a real, it's a real uh, uh, bonanza if you're a college baseball lover. So that, that's what I'm excited about early on. How much of that is the selection committee driving that to play tougher competition early? Yeah, I think that's certainly part of it. And, and I think part of it too is, you know, the, the sport keeps growing in popularity. And so there's reason for these, um, these tournaments to, to, to exist because they make money. You know I mean? Like that didn't always used to be the case. Uh, but now, I mean, if you, you get these, especially these real name brand teams in there, you can, you can make money put on a tournament like this. And so um, it's good for everybody. It's good for the sport. Thank you for your time, sir. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Right back at you, my friend. Good talking to you. Here with Teddy Cahill again, uh, Baseball America. He's been with me since the beginning. So, Teddy, thanks for jumping on. Absolutely. It's uh, it's hard to believe we're, we're almost to opening day. It doesn't even feel like it this year for some reason. So, it's uh, it's wild. So, 
did you get a chance to get out much this fall? No, I uh, I was not out a ton this fall, just doing some other things, uh, working on some other stuff. So I, I am, I'm a little bit, you know, like, I don't love fall ball. Uh, I just don't know what I'm looking at a lot of the time. So I, I like to come in a little fresher, I guess. Man, what were your thoughts on last year's College World Series? It was uh, it was a great event. Obviously, I mean, you think back to some of the the big time games and and the big time players. Like, I think a lot of people are going to remember uh, that Wake Forest LSU game to go to the the finals for a really long time for a number of reasons. I mean, people uh, some people talk about that as like the Skeens louder showdown, and I always just think about it as the Tommy White walk off or you know whatever. I mean, th- there were so many great moments throughout the the whole thing. I mean. And you think about like what Ty Floyd did against Florida in game one and, and how special that was and Oral Roberts being there and, you know, what that meant for that program and programs like Oral Roberts. And uh, so th- there was just a lot going on in that World Series. And there was there was kind of something for everyone, which I thought was really fun. You know, and I don't think a lot of people knew Louder was not feeling good to start that World Series out. He he had he was battling a little bit of the flu. Um, so I was happy for him later on because, you know, he that first game out, he was not sharp. He still gave them a chance to win, though. And I think that's the special thing about Rhett Louder is even though he didn't have his best stuff that first game out, he still gave them a chance to win that first game. Yeah, I mean, the everyone is going to remember Paul Skeens as being, you know, this all-time pitcher and he very much deserves that. But Rhett Lauder, I mean, that's the, he, if, if he had been doing that in any other year, that would have been, you know, he would have been the best pitcher in the country and everyone would have been talking about him so much more than they were. He's really, really good and and really special. And, um, you know, just what he was able to accomplish throughout his career. And then especially last season to, to be able to, for people to see that on the biggest stage, I, I thought that was cool. I think it's going to be intriguing to look up here in, in four or five years and see how many of those guys that played in that World Series last year in the big leagues already. Yeah, I mean, there's there's going to be a lot. I mean, there, there's just players across the board. I mean, Cruz and Skeens and Louder and, you know, those guys can move quick, but there are going to be a lot of guys. I mean, you even Brock think about Wilkin. some of the, yeah, Brock Wilkin. Brock and, one of the best competitors I've seen at the college level for a long time. Absolutely. Braden Taylor. I mean, just like all the Florida guys. I mean, Laneford is potentially going to be the first of that group to make it. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he was up uh, pretty quickly this year. I mean, th- there there were so many, so many dudes. Now, with Wake, I mean, they got a chance to, obviously, they got a lot coming back, but they lost a lot offensively. They do have a chance. Almost everybody's got them one coming into the preseason. Yeah, I think uh, I think they're actually unanimous one, which I'm a little surprised about. I I had a harder time picking a, a number one team this year than than many previous years. Um, I think Wake's really good though. Like the the star power is uh, is legit. I mean, you're talking about a team with like four or five guys that have legitimate first round aspirations, and um, you know the the pitching staff is going to be really good again, and it's uh, it's impressive what they were able to uh to put together both in terms of you know freshmen and, and newcomers through the portal but but also just in terms of returning players same thing with lsu i mean they're right up top did they add many pieces through the portal like they did the year before yeah i mean they they've definitely hit the portal again i mean luke holman and gage jump coming in from alabama and ucla respectively projected to go right into their rotation along with thatcher Hurd. um they got the shortstop uh, 
Michael Braswell coming from South Carolina through the portal. Uh, and then Mac Bainham, who was uh, at Arizona coming over as a grad transfer. He was with, uh, he was with Jay uh, in Tucson. And, and now he's going to finish up his, uh, his college career in Baton Rouge. I'm pulling for Arkansas this year. Arkansas is really Van good. To do it. They're really good. I mean, when, when you I start with Hagen Smith to do it. and, uh, you know, Craig Cozart and I talked about that. I think people have kind of forgotten about Arkansas, and I can't believe it because they are so good. But it's like people are like taking Arkansas for granted now. It's crazy to me. Well, I mean, the the people that haven't forgotten is the SEC coaches. They picked <laughs> them ahead of they they picked them ahead of LSU and the SEC West. And I mean, like, I got them back to back. Like, I don't really care which order you you put them in. The, yes. To me, those are the two in the SEC West. And I mean, the the Razorbacks. Uh, they had to reset the lineup. I mean, they were so injured last year. Like the way that what happened to them last year, I feel like in the postseason probably is affecting how people are seeing them this year because uh, for them to get bounced in a home regional, like that's never a great thing, but they were just so injured and TCU was so hot coming in. Um, and you know that that's going to motivate everyone in uh, in Fayetteville to, uh, to bounce back this season. All right. I mean, it's so hard to pick against those teams that were there last year because, you know, any of those group, it's like, okay, yeah, they could probably get back. Is there anybody that maybe we haven't seen in a little bit that might get back in there this year? You know, I I have been struck just by how every team that was good last year basically is expected to be good again this year. Um, you know, you look at the top 10 and I well, mean, we haven't seen any- that in a while because you, you no. come off Mississippi state wins a national championship. Ole Miss wins a national championship. And, and you do have a legitimate chance to get almost all those teams back again this year. Yeah. I mean, and, and like, it's crazy. Like wake forest wins the ACC going away last year. And they're like the clear ACC favorites again. And uh, you know, we talked about Arkansas and LSU, which were at the top of the SEC West last year and projected to be right there again, Florida, same way in the East. And, um, you know, I, I guess the the team that oh, it's been a little bit, but I mean, we're talking about since 2018 is Oregon State. Um, you know, I think they're the favorites in the Pac-12. And um, lately we've been seeing Stanford come out of uh, out of the Pac-12 and make it to Omaha three years in a row. But this year it feels a little more like it's the Beavers year. What, what are your thoughts on kind of the landscape of Division One baseball or Division One athletics overall and what's going to look like here in the next three or four years? I mean, <laughs> how much time we got? Like, so the the thing here is that the immediate stuff that we know is happening, the, uh, you know, in terms of the the conference moves that are going to happen this summer with uh, the Pac-12 effectively dissolving and all the rest of it, um, that almost feels like small potatoes now. If you, like, look at what's going on, what's being talked about around the country, Um you know, like there are potential like like it was a seismic shift. Uh, it felt like when the Pac-12, you know, the, this summer when it, the Pac-12 was disintegrating. But I mean, that's almost nothing compared to what we're talking about now in terms of paying players, potentially like outright paying players and uh, some of these court cases going on. So, I mean, to forecast three or four years out, like if if you could just like pause all of that stuff and just say like, Oh, like how weird is it going to be that Texas and Oklahoma are in the SEC now and UCLA is a Big Ten team? Like, yeah, like that stuff is all very real. But like the stuff that's on the horizon is the stuff that like, I mean, could really, truly shape college sports for a long time to come. You know, does football just do its own thing and then you give everybody else a chance to go back to more regional play? Like I just, 
I, I just. I mean, worry, I, I don't. I, I don't think that's realistic. Sports. Like, I, don't, I, I don't know think baseball's baseball's survived forever with eleven point seven scholarships with with lower budgets. You know, for a lot of the programs out there, baseball survived. I'm not as concerned with baseball as I am some of the other sports. I mean the the entire if if players start to be paid for whatever we pick a court case that's like basically demanding that right now and say it wins and that that becomes like the rule i mean everything's going to change um the there there are various rulings coming down that you know i mean like the national labor board ruled that dartmouth men's basketball could unionize and like that's a very specific thing like that's a private institution playing in the Ivy League, which is a bunch of private institutions. But, you know, if that is the groundwork for something, um, you know, the just reading some of the the stuff to come out of that, the reasoning behind why they ruled that that they could be classified as employees and therefore unionized, like, I mean, that could be applied to literally every college athlete in the country because like Ivy League kids don't have scholarships. So it's not even that like, oh, this athletic scholarship is is effectively your compensation. Like, no, they're saying like the shoes that you get are compensation. And that the fact that Dartmouth can tell you like this is like what you have to do to be a part of the team, like that makes you that's what's classifying them as employees. And like even division three schools are doing that stuff. So I don't know. Like if we talk big picture, like it it's really hard to even wrap my mind around right now. Yeah, it's it, it's crazy. I, let's just get through this season, and we'll figure it out after that. <laughs> I do love that you have Northeastern and UC Irvine in too in the top twenty-five because I've I've loved you know, Coach Clavin and Northeastern forever. It, it this is the first time Northeastern's been ranked in the Baseball America top twenty-five, which goes back forty-four years now, and I was surprised by that because you know they've been a solid program, especially under Coach Glavin, and uh, but this was the first time they uh, they pushed in, and I mean they're legit. The CAA is exciting to me uh, with Campbell coming into the league, Northeastern. I mean they've got a potential first rounder at Northeastern and like Sirota, and then UNCW, which uh, you know we all know what that program is under Randy Hood, and and they were the the champs last year. And you got Charleston and William and Mary have been, I mean, it's a, it's a really intriguing league. And um, I, I think that it would be a lot of fun if uh, some of those teams were, were able to, to, to follow through and, and Northeastern's kind of at the, the leading edge of that right now. You know, with the West coast schools, are you seeing as much transfer portal stuff going on that way? It just doesn't seem like there's as much of it. It seems like the West coast is kind of out there on its own entity. It's tricky for a lot of those schools. I mean, if you think about some of the Pac-12 schools, just what they've got to do in terms of academics, like Stanford, it's a really hard time taking transfers. And I think UCLA and Cal are in a similar boat. Um, Oregon State has like one significant one this year in Aiden May, who came up from Arizona. Uh, But like some of those schools are just kind of doing the developmental thing more than than others and i mean you're also just not seeing as many guys leave like i'm not saying that guys don't leave those schools they certainly do but um they have it's been a little less i don't know everything's a little weird out on the west coast uh right now and um and that was my hope for that uh, it was kind of that shiny new thing that got rolled out there with the transfer portal and then i think you you look and you figure out that it does work for some kids but then some kids don't have spots to go to. 
I mean, I, I don't worry about the guys not getting spots um, because, you know, if you go and you look and you see like, oh, there are thousands of players in the portal. I mean, you got to remember that in this sport, there are thousands of true walk on players as well. So, um, you know, like if, if a guy doesn't have a spot, like that doesn't mean that he messed up necessarily. Uh, stuff happens in baseball. Stuff has always happened in baseball because of its partial scholarship nature. Uh, but I, like, I, I think that it definitely has paid off for, for people that know what they're doing, but like you also, I, I think there are success stories. I mean, Stanford, three straight Omaha appearances, like, again, they, they're not taking portal guys cause they really can't like Oregon state's done minimal work in the portal. I think they're going to be really good this year. Like you still can do things without it. Uh, but you've also shown you know lsu wake forest etc uh that like it really can help you and it can help the the players as well like siever king coming up from division two going to wake forest uh this year i mean that has the potential to really be impactful to uh to i mean not just his college career this season but to to his professional future as well and wake was kind of ahead of the curve like i you know us being so close to them when i started when i moved out here and started going over there they had grad transfers from ivy league schools before really anybody else was doing it so they had kind of lined themselves up to be able to do that yeah duke and wake forest were were early on that boat uh they did a really good job finding those ivy league those patriot league guys that um you know they can't uh, they, they can't stay for grad school there. They still want to use that last year. And, and, um, you know, some of those, those high academic schools have, uh, have figured that out. I mean, like, it, it's really unfortunate to me that, I mean, you think about some of these guys that can't like, like Wofford is, they don't have graduate programs. So like their guys, when they graduate, they got to go somewhere else. And, um, like that's kind of an unfortunate thing, but it is nice that they are able to find landing spots, uh, you know, and, 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 programs have have figured out how to how to help those players um you know and and that they can be successful with them anybody on outside looking in top 25 here that you're paying attention to once the season starts you know i'm really interested in uh west virginia right now uh randy Maisie in his final season before retiring jj weatherholt the potential number one overall draft pick uh, they've got a lot of new around, um, you know, the pitching staff especially is is going to have a new look. But I, I think that by the end of the year, I, I th- they could be really rolling. And, you know, if you've got, you know, that kind of motivation, you know, not that you need it, but like your coach is retiring. Like, I, I think that matters. And um, Weatherhold is potentially the most dynamic, most exciting, like whatever you want to say, he might be the best player in the country. And um you know, I, I really think West Virginia could be a team to watch here. I saw him when he was a freshman. We are, we did a thing at Kent State, and they played. Kent State and West Virginia played that that right after our Barnstormers event. And so you could just tell that he he was very advanced for a young kid back then. I mean, he just does everything. Like, he he hit four whatever. He stole 30 bases. He he hit, like, more than 15 homers. Like, And he was hurt for part of last year. Like, I, I'm just really excited to see what he can – what he can put up this season. And again, we said last year, like the amount of talent on the field, I think you're going to continue to see that at the college level with the way the draft is set up. Yeah. I mean, with the, the 20 rounds still being in place and, and the, I mean, professional baseball, um, you know, the way that they've reworked the minor leagues, like they are, they are working it so that more borderline cases, like they are still going to take the top high school players, but more borderline cases are going to end up in college. And, uh, I mean, that th- those guys give them another year or two to develop, especially, uh, you know, coming from a more northern 
climate where you haven't been able to play baseball as much, like a weather hold. Uh, you know, I mean, it, great things can happen. Have they talked about a hard cap? I, there were some rumblings at the convention that Major League Baseball is going to go to a hard cap and that where, okay, this pick gets this amount of money. There's no negotiations. And I, I think that helps college baseball even more because then you're going to see more seniors stick around for their senior year. I mean, we'd have to see what that would look like. They'd have to negotiate that with the union, which means the next CBA. I mean, they're kind of locked into what the draft is for the next few years. And like, I mean, the hard cap's been bandied about for a long time and it has its positives and negatives. And yeah, for sure. uh, But like the next few years, we're not, that, that's not an imminent, situation i would say and you said you're going to florida here this first weekend correct that is correct yeah and then what about the next uh, weekend uh the next weekend i'm gonna gonna watch some tv you know i uh i have i i love how much i can watch from the couch you know <laughs> uh there's just so much good college baseball on and like i love getting out it's gonna be exciting to to be out at the ballpark uh on opening weekend but you know you got to pick your spots it's a long season yeah. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta find the, find the right time to be out, find the right time to be, be channel surfing. And so week two is going to be, uh, me reacquainting myself with, uh, ESPN plus. I love it. Love it. What are some other intriguing storylines for people to pay attention to? You know, I, I think that, uh, you know, there, there are some big time coach. I mentioned Randy Maisie retiring. He's not the only like longtime coach hanging it up after this year. Gary Gilmore, at coastal Carolina, John Anderson, at Minnesota, Keith Gutton at Missouri State. Those are three of the like four winningest active coaches right now. Um, Danny Hall being the the other, like, I think he is the winningest active coach, and then those other three guys line up right behind him. And um, you know, I think Coastal. You know, we've got them in the top twenty. Uh, Missouri State had a nice season last year. We'll see what they can do in the the Valley. Uh, and I don't know what to expect from Minnesota. We'll we'll see what they've got, but. Uh, you know, I just think about guys like that leaving the game. Uh, we've seen a lot of that in recent years. But uh, so that's one thing to follow, especially here talking on a, a coach's podcast. Um, I, I think that uh, what's happening in the Big West, you mentioned UC Irvine and I kind of glossed over it, but um, Irvine returns everyone from its lineup. And then other people like UC Santa Barbara, because they feel like it has one of the best pitching staffs in the country. I think that showdown in the big West could be a lot of fun. Um, it's going to go under the radar because the big West has suddenly become a one bid league, basically in the eyes of the selection committee. Uh, but I, I think from a just pure baseball standpoint, which is crazy like, to me with the history of the big West and, and how many national championships that that conference has that it gets glossed over now, which it shouldn't. It, it is. And like, there are a lot of reasons why it's happened. Some of them are self-inflicted. Some of them are not, but, uh, regardless, watch the baseball out there. If you, if you just like the baseball, watch the baseball out there this year. Cause I, I think at the top of that league, uh, things could have a really nice, uh, a really nice pennant race. Oh, and then I, one more, Iowa has not won the big 10 since 1991. Uh, they're the big 10 favorites right now. Uh, that's something to watch that yeah, uh, the Hawkeyes heller ball. Yeah. Yes. Right. But they've not won the regular season in, uh, in more than 30 years now. And uh, heller balls definitely got something going this yeah, year. They potentially. Do. They do. They're 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 going to be fun to watch too. Cause that those arms, they're going to roll out. They're going to be good. Absolutely. One of the better pitching staffs in the country, potentially the best. I mean, like in terms of pure stuff, like yes. it, it's hard to hard to top with their what they can do. Upper Midwest kids, I've said it forever. You know, you, you're going to have to develop them, but you can catch lightning in a bottle um, when you look at the history of, of kids in that area that maybe 
don't figure it out right away, but if you give them two or three years of innings and at bats, they're probably going to figure it out and be pretty good at some point. Yeah, I mean, and like Brody Brecht is, uh, he's a unique guy being a, a former football player, but like him and Marcus Morgan and Kate Obermuller, like just the pure stuff that they're running out there is is electric. And, um, you know, as they continue to get innings under their belt and, and improve their command a little bit, I mean, yeah, watch out, watch out. Because, I mean, two of those guys are juniors now. And in your third year of college baseball, things start happening sometimes. Is Texas Tech maybe the one of the most consistent programs that hardly ever gets talked about as much? You know, I mean, I feel like we talked about Tech a lot kind of in the last decade when they were going to Omaha. The last couple of years, it just hasn't happened for them. And so they've they've fallen a little bit under the radar. And, um, you know, who has who, who's noticed that is Tim Tadlock. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they got picked for they got picked fourth by uh, by Big 12 coaches this year. And that was the lowest they'd been picked in a while. And uh, I, I saw some quotes from Tad that sure uh, he noticed that he'll have them ready. He'll have yeah. Them ready. Uh, I mean, but like they're uh, they're solid and, uh, you know, they're consistent. And uh, the big the Big 12 is always a mess. You know, like the, the that conference has has always been a lot of fun. You know, it, it comes down to the final weekend, like feels like every year. And uh, this year looks like another another good year. All right. Well, safe travels. Look forward to seeing you. If you're ever out and about in North Carolina, let me know. Absolutely. We'll do. All right. Here with Mike Rooney, D1Baseball.com. Um, Runes, thanks for jumping on with me. R. Beasel, good to see you, man. Always a pleasure. Did you ever think you'd be the face of college baseball? Uh, no, I don't think I am, but I, I but uh, I appreciate the question. I, um, I you know, like you, R. B., like I thought I was going to be Coach K. Like I thought I was going to be this great Division One head coach. This talking about college baseball is not what I thought was happening, but I'm grateful for it. I definitely feel this will sound a little corny, but. I definitely feel called to this, you know, like I feel I, I, I miss coaching. I'm sure you do, too. But um, I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm in uh, the exact same boat. I feel people yeah. ask that all the time. I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing right now with the ABC. Yeah. Like this, I, this is what I was supposed to do. But same thing for you, because you coached forever. You know, I think you have a better feel for calling games than, and that's not taking anything away from anyone else that, that does mm -hmm, of it. Course. I just think you have a better feel for what's going on in the game because you've been in the dugout. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's fun. It, 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 you do feel like you're coaching. Like I love like scouting opponents that you're going to call a game for and doing the conference previews. I, if I'm being honest, like, we, you know, this we're kind of midway through uh, the first, like the, the before weekend one. And um, I'm grateful to have a lot of the preseason stuff behind me as far as like writing and stuff like that goes. It's super fun to do, but it's like, I mean, how much I, I, of your time does that take? Because you do a good whew. job with those. I mean, how much? Well, I appreciate it. You do a really good so, job with those. Yeah, the writing is like, like, you know, like my buddies, Joe Healy and Aaron Fitt and Kendall Rogers, they can like say, oh, yeah, I got to write the Southland conference preview today. And um and they'll just knock it out. Like for me, I've got to torment myself for three months before. <laughs> like I, it's like I, writing is is not my thing. But I'm grateful to do it. It's a good thing. I, I enjoy exercising that muscle. It's just it's just not doesn't come that easy. But it's so great, right? It, like it really forces you to get in there, you know. And so um, I love it. It's really fun. But January and early February are crazy because you just like. You, you you're getting anxious like it's like it, it rem reminds you of coaching rb it's like oh crap are we good enough at first and third defense do we know our bunt defenses do we, i don't know who my bullpen is it's just different it's like 
oh, I've got 12 teams left to write up. And so um, it's uh, it's the same type of stress and everybody's just ready for real games. Do you feel like it helps you, though, when you start announcing because you're doing the background? Oh, 100%. Like it just – yeah, like I feel like this, this opening weekend in Arizona even, I'll get to see like 10 different teams. And I'm so for- fortunate to live here because – then when you get to the you get to the end of the season, you feel like you've known these teams for six months, and you you know how it is. It's like you think you know, but they're twenty year olds, and so like who knows what we're gonna see. But yeah, I, I think I'm very grateful for what I did for Perfect Game and what I do now for D1 Baseball because it really does help in all those other endeavors. And I leaned on you when I was doing the, the USA Today Top 25 poll. I always leaned on you for the, the West Coast teams because I knew mm-hmm. you were going to have feel for teams out in that part of the world that I didn't. Like, you were on Cal Poly the one year before anybody was even talking about Cal Poly, and this would have been probably six, seven years ago. But I knew that as soon as I sent you that text, I'm like, hey, who should be in the Top 25 preseason poll on the West Coast? You always came back with the right names. Yeah. And that's where the stuff like not just the preseason stuff, but doing fall reports. I write about 14, 13 or 14 fall reports every year. And that's really cool, too, because it, it you, you kind of get in the weeds. I'll tell you where you get it gets a little crazy is that you have to really assess your biases. You know, like you're you're like for me, I am so drunk on UC Santa Barbara and UC Irvine right now. Like I you know, like <laughs> I might as well get a tattoo that says eaters got to eat, right? Like it's just, I'm all in on Irvine. So like half of me is like, man, am I just so swept up by them because I know them so well? Or do I legitimately think they're awesome? I, I think it's the latter, but it is, it's really helpful. Um, I love, I love kind of, and you know, like I'll, I'll say this, um, when we do the rankings conversation, Man, it is really fun because I was it forces ask you, about you that because you're Woo. all in different parts of the country, which is which yes. I think is a good thing that you're all in different parts of the country. Yes, hundred percent. So, like for instance, we ranked Northeastern this year, and when Aaron Fit brought up Northeastern, every one of us, you know, it's it's really the main people in the conversation are me, Aaron, Kendall, and Joe Healy. Um, so, people that hate the you know hate our rankings, like. Those four individuals are where you should direct that. We don't need anyone else catching strays. But when Aaron brought up Northeastern, you know, the rest of us were like, that's a great program, Fitzy, but really? Like, you want to go talk to, like, because you start thinking about the teams you got to leave out to, like, that means we got to leave Auburn out. Like, that means we're going to do only two Pac-12 teams, you know, like, and, and then, you know, for me, you start digging into Northeastern, you're like, holy heck, they won 45 games last year. Like, they had five dudes go double-digit home runs and five dudes go double-digit steals. And then you see the pitching that's back, and then you're like, dang. And then, you know, the the we did a we, we did a, a podcast afterwards, RB, that you'd appreciate, where we we kind of did the post-mortem, where one of the categories I, I gave everyone is like, all right, tell me the team you chickened out on. And for me, it was Irvine. Like, I was this close ready to, like, I'm going to die on this hill. We are ranking Irvine. Um, or the, the four of us are fist fighting, right? And then they had a pitching injury a couple days before, and I, I just chickened out. And I'm so mad at myself. But, but you know, be that as it may, it's really fun because you got to get, get real with yourself when you head into those conversations or you'll get chewed up because, to your point, everybody's got their different um, allegiances as far as the teams that they really believe in. And I didn't really think about Irvine at all, but then Baseball America's got them in. But then you do the right, you read the write up, and they have nine of their position players back, their starters. 
plus their shortstop. So, so they, they, they were a top 30 offense. I'm telling you, RB, I don't, I don't want to turn this into a criticize the selection committee, but I'm about <laughs> to. They, they hammered Irvine. Irvine last year was 8-1 and one against the Pac-12. 8-1. and one. They were 19-6 and six on the road. They had a top 30 offense, a top 30 pitching staff, and um, you know their, their RPI just was not good enough. Um, but so they have that entire offense back. They have every single at bat. One of the things that they were missing last year was their shortstop, Woody Hadeen, who's this 6'2", 190 pound switch hitter who looked like he was ready for a breakout and he missed the entire season. So they have every at bat back plus Hadeen, you know, Anthony Martinez, Joe Ayama, they're, they're loaded. They're a little, you know, like they don't have a ton of depth on the mounds. But um, they do have Nick Pinto, who's got 46 career starts, which leads college baseball. So your point is well taken, RB. When you start to dive into these teams, like I mentioned for Northeastern, you start to feel like, man, like, you know, you can really fall in love with some of these clubs. Well, do we need an NIT then? Do we need a baseball NIT? Well, I love that you asked that question. I don't, I don't want an NIT. What I want is 72 teams. I want um, – I wrote this article last summer – what I want us to do is go to 72 teams with a, and I, I want, I want 32 hosts, right? I want everything yeah, to be a three game series. To, yeah. Yeah. What's cool about that is you could add eight more teams and we would have eight really cool playing games on Thursday night where the winning team gets to stay and play a three game series. The losing team gets to go home uh, or would go home. So that's, that's what we need because again, like I so think would you put that then. So, so basically of the 32 seeds that we've got, the plans are playing at one, two, three, and four at those sites. They're, so, so you, because yes, you need actually eight plans. Yes. Because the, the, the teams, you know, the, the, yeah, the so eight those teams two, that are, those two teams playing. So the, the one seed, whoever the one seed is. So if it's LSU last year, they've got teams 69 and 72 or what, or whatever. They've yeah, got yeah. 65 and 72 playing at their yeah. place to see who's going to get in. That's the article I wrote last year, RB. Is I, I kind of like I because you and me believe in this concept, yes. so I I because I, I think I, it continues I, to grow the game. It, it yes, continues yeah. to grow the game. I took my selling shoes off, so I like I, I feel like I'm just beating people over the head with this. So I said last summer, I'm like, look, no more selling this. I'm just going to present you the field of 72 and 32 hosts based on last year's field. So I didn't I didn't really get into the selling points. I just said, here's what it would have looked like, and Kansas um, State gets in then. Oh yeah, Kansas State, USC, Arizona State, really Kent State. Games too, by the way. Oh yeah. So so just to finish the thought, the playing games would be at sites one through four, yes, and right. actually thirteen through sixteen. Because yeah. um, to because to otherwise, like some of these teams that sneak I, in are know, really good. They're not sneak, know, like, they're not sneaking because they're yeah yeah they're, they're basically yeah. they're another round of selections because they're not auto bids. Correct. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, but yeah, like we're, we're leaving, you know, you know how this goes. Like there's, there's, there's a really cool concept out there called DSR, um, diamond sports rankings that the six, four, three guys are doing and it's a rival of RPI. I really like it. And I'm, I'm going to enjoy analyzing that this year. But the, the thing, my, my main point is just changing the system doesn't help. We are leaving too many good teams on the cutting room floor. We need 64 is not big enough for how much college baseball has grown. Yeah. Yeah, which it, it, I, you and I are on the exact same page with all of that. 
and we're bringing more people into it too. I mean, that, that's the cool thing. It's going to continue to grow. The product on the field is as good as it's ever been. And I don't know 100%. what you felt about the College World Series field last year. I thought it was our, our best we had from top to bottom. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, like the stars and, you know, Skeens and Cruz and what Wake Forest is doing. I mean, you know, the the ratings were outrageous. I mean, I think that the one game Florida and um, LSU was like 3.6 million viewers. I mean, that's that's crazy. You know, that's a that's a you know, that's a big football game audience right there. So, um, yeah, the, the you know, the, the I think we all get it right. The the sport has grown. There's been a lot of investment. The draft is smaller. Professional baseball is smaller. So there's better players getting to college baseball. And, um, you know, it's just kind of like that perfect storm. And I'm planning on seeing UC Santa Barbara and Campbell at some point this weekend. So what what do I need to look for with UC Santa Barbara? Well, I, I'll give you the bad news first. They were they had raised two point seven million dollars to put a turf field down, and um, they scalped their field. And then at the last second, the city council changed their minds. They'd gotten some pressure from some environmental groups as far as the you know, like I, I didn't know this, but apparently turf is controversial. It is. I don't, I'm not saying that sarcastically no, no, at all. No. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it, it's I didn't I had no idea. I, I when, when I heard it, I was like. Oh my gosh, because like where I live in the West, like water is such a challenge. So I was thinking, oh my gosh, like I would have thought the opposite. I would have thought they would tell everybody in California, you have to do turf. But so anyway, I think Wake Santa Barbara's infield is, is pistachio shells because it's yeah. obviously friendlier to the environment. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing too. So anyway, long story short for Santa Barbara, they had scalped their field. They were a week away from laying the turf and now the whole project is off oh, wow. and they have no field. So you asked me about Santa Barbara's team. I th- I worry they're going to get off to a slow start because they, they didn't have a field all fall and they still don't have a field. So, But what they do have is they have seven starters back positionally from a team that was young and, and you know, it, and they were game. They just missed the tournament last year. If, if, if a pitching staff is only seven to eight arms, RB, I can make a case that Santa Barbara's got the best pitching staff in the country. It's that good. Their pitching is outrageously good. Like Team USA guys, high round draft picks. Like it is outrageously good. I'm just a little worried they're going to get off to a tough start because they haven't been on a field. They've been scrambling for fields, but man, can they pitch? How much is it hurting you that the Pac-12 might go away? Yeah, I feel like I'm still in denial. You know, like it's just yeah. I'm hoping. I'm just hoping like something in the next 12 months like shifts with everything, but I don't. It's not going. Yeah, I'm, 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 you know, I'm happy for the like the big 12, I think, is going to be really fun over the next couple of years. Like I I despise conference realignment. It gives me a migraine. But yeah, like like the big 12 is fun, like the four teams in this year. And then, you know, Arizona, Arizona State, that's nine national titles jumping in there next year. And then, um, you know, the Utah coming in. And so but I think I think this will be a fun year, final year, the Pac-12, Oregon State. I, I made this prediction the other day. I think Oregon State's going to play an SEC team for the national title this year. Um, that's a, I'm, I'm being a little romantic there, but Oregon State is a legitimately awesome team. Um, and then the Pac-12 got seven other teams that are right there. That if it all clicks, they're they're, they're going to be you know yeah because everybody says UCLA is going to be really good this year. Very talented, you know. And out. they've been to three college ever, series in a yep. row. Like I yeah. Guess. Yeah, UCLA's year was ugly last year, but remember they were sixteen and three at one point, and then the injuries piled up on them. So, hey, Arizona State year three under Willie Bloomquist, 
they I really like their team. Um, you know, Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, we mentioned Stanford. Cal's got two kids who could be top 50 picks and a very old team. So, um, you know, USC, what a rebound under Andy Stankwitz and that incredible coaching staff last year. So, yeah, the Pac-12 is going to be really fun this year. And they've always been good. Like, they've always been yeah. good. Yeah. So, are you, calling a, are you calling an Arkansas, Oregon State repeat then? Championship series? Well, Oh. Arkansas is is a team I yeah. I like to win that I so when that I when I picked a national tremendous. champion that would be man Arkansas fans are not ready for that that's <laughs> going to take a lot of therapy but um I love Arkansas's team and we know Dave Van Horn's going to win a national title I actually I picked Tennessee my two teams to win the national title this year are Tennessee or Arkansas I settled on Tennessee the other day so I'll I'll give you Tennessee and Oregon State in the in the finals love it love it anybody outside looking in. Man, it seems like so we've like, had outside of Wake Forest. Seems like we've had a lot of the same teams back in Omaha. Yeah, I would say like TCU, like like you know, if we're calling a fish a fish, the the, the SEC is kind of like they're just dominating the postseason right now. Like they've won four straight national titles. They've won five out of six. And the two teams that are like trading punches with SEC powerhouses in the offseason are Wake Forest and TCU. So I think, you know, TCU is really interesting. You know, we mentioned like as kind of off the radar teams, um, you know, or, or non-Power 4, whatever we're calling them. Uh, you know, Santa Barbara's top of mind, Irvine's top of mind, Connecticut always. I'm going to say this out loud into nobody, a hot mic. I mean, I knew how good Oral Roberts' program was forever because I, yeah. I had to deal with them forever, but nobody had them. Cl- I mean, they had them kind of on the outside looking in, but nobody knew Oral Roberts was going yeah. to do what they did last year. Yeah, that's right. And that's and, the great thing you know, about like, college baseball. That's right. It's still baseball, right? Like, And, and that's where like the RPI, like, like Oral Roberts is a little bit of a black eye for the RPI, which I think is is kind of we're, we're ready to be done with it. But, you know, like, there was not one game in the postseason last year where you, it, it, you know, if you were really being honest with yourself, there was not one game where you looked at Oral Roberts and watched any amount of the game and you're like, oh, this is a total Cinderella story. No, you're like, they're really good. Like, they're really good. Like, they're, they're almost beating Florida in, in Omaha. They beat TCU. And um, I just think, um, let me, I'm going to give you one that you'll appreciate, RB. Iowa is a hard team. Like, people still want to call Iowa a sleeper. They're not a sleeper this year. Iowa is going to host a regional this year. They may host a super regional, but let's, you know, that can get a little tricky. I'm telling you right now, Iowa's hosting a regional this year. If they're not advancing the postseason, it's because somebody beat them in Iowa City. Like that's the caliber of this team. So I think I'm 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 kind of screaming at myself as much as anyone. Like, I gotta get out of this mindset of, hey, I wonder if Iowa can do it or sleeper. No, 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 no. They, they are legitimately awesome this year. Good. Happy for those guys. It's good stuff. And they've been building yes. for a while, too. It's not – probably not – it's similar to Wake, what Wake did and how Wake did it because everybody kind of just thought Wake was good, but you could see that young group with Louder and Wilkin and those guys when they were freshmen that they had something that was going to be really good if they could keep it together. Yep, agreed, agreed. I'll give you one more, RB. I'm going to, again, saying this into a hot mic, East Carolina, you're not going to Omaha. But I just want to put my reverse jinx on them. They're really good. They're really good again. I'm not picking them for Omaha. I'm not going to do that to them. I'm 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 East Carolina. I want you to hear me clearly. You're not going to Omaha. I'm telling you, RB. They're really good. It's just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. That's right. Just won't be this year. Just won't be this year. 
<laughs> so with your schedule outside of Arizona down the spring training complexes, do you have to leave there early on? No. Well, so, so the, um, I, I not have to, like, I'm getting to leave there just cause some really cool stuff to see, but yeah, this week, like opening weekend, there'll be some incredible, you know, like again, see Oregon state, see ASU, see Northeastern's play in Arizona, um, see USC, see Cal, Kansas state, et cetera. It's, it's awesome. Grand Canyon weekend two, I'm going to UCLA at TCU, which will be really fun. And then weekend three, the peak events guys are doing these awesome tournaments and they have one, uh, kicking off in Vegas this year, then I'm going to get to call games there. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, the um, ESPN stuff starts to kick in. And, and um, yeah, then we're, we're rolling. Where are they hosting at in Vegas? The Pro Park? Uh, that's a great question. The AAA Park, I believe. I've never been. I heard it's amazing. I have not been. It's been a long time. Recruiting was the last time I've been in Vegas. So it's been yep. a long time. Hey, you mentioned the DSR. So what are the criteria that goes into that that maybe the RPI doesn't get? Yeah, so it's it's um, man, it's it's a little mathy, you know. Like the thing about RPI is that it's you know the math is easily understandable, but the problem is the system's just super flawed, yeah. and so DSR has a lot of um, win expectancy. I'm terrible at explaining it. I will tell you that we did two podcasts at D1 Baseball to help people like hear the DSR or the six four three guys explain it. I'll tell you my two favorite parts of it though is that you can track like right now with RPI if i you know like if if Evansville beats Notre Dame in February by May you have no idea what that meant or didn't mean with DSR you're accumulating points the whole season and right now we know in RPI one of the controversies is you are incentivized to cancel games at the end of the year. Yes, you are. Uh, your last DSR, DSR eradicates that. Every time you play, there are points. You will win or lose points in DSR. So it eradicates that. So the other thing is you can see the trajectory of a team. Like, are they gaining points? Are they losing points? Um, and the other thing is when you go into a game, RB, you know how many points are on the line. So the other thing I love about DSR is – Incentivize like, your midweek games then too to win. 100%. And if you're the selection committee – I could, you know, you could say to them, "Hey, show me UC Santa Barbara's top five wins, and show me their five worst losses." And you could see it right there, very easy. So I, I just think um, I worry that with the selection committee, we just beat them to death with numbers. And I think, and I worry that RPI, we just like we we slice it and dice it seventeen hundred different ways, and we're just kind of spinning around like a top. I feel like DSR allows for a much more intelligent conversation and again like an oral roberts you know they're not an at-large team by rpi last year when we learned they were easily one of the top 30 teams in the country dsr did have them uh you know as an in the at-large range and so because they were so dominant over the competition so i, I here's the fun part about it this year the committee is using rpi but on the d1 baseball website we're going to show rpi and dsr the whole year so we can have some fun conversations oh that's gonna be tremendous i mean when you jumped in i asked fitzy this earlier when you jumped in with the d1 baseball guys did you feel like this is what it was going to turn into because you guys have done such a good job with all of this well i i you know like i kendall and aaron those guys deserve all the credit for this so i didn't i didn't know you know i i like i just felt like um i just felt like it was a good fit for me you know like um uh, like 
and I want to be clear, RB, like I loved it at Perfect Game. When I was writing and doing stuff for Perfect Game, I, I loved it. I was very, very um, nervous and anxious and sad to leave there. But I always just felt like with Perfect Game, like I felt like they were tolerating me, you know, like that, like that's just not their thing. You know, like I just felt like, man, like it's player. Am I, I mean, it's always been about. Player yeah. Rankings. Yeah. Yeah. I just I felt like they were just like I almost felt like they were doing me a favor, you know, like. And so with D1, I just felt like, oh, OK, this is where I belong. Right. Like this is. Um, and again, like I could have stayed at Perfect Game forever. It was I had such an awesome experience. Those people treated me great. I loved it. I missed them. But the D1 thing, to your point, has been just felt like that 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 glove that fits perfectly and you, I, I for for me knowing you as long as i have and how creative you are and how smart you are i think that kind of stokes a little bit of your creativity too where you can maybe go off on some tangents as needed as you feel like are best oh yeah like it, like it, for instance we have the you know like i think everybody does you either have slack or whatsapp and we have the d1 we have the whatsapp and uh you know like i should be paying more attention to my day job but, um, you know, during the day, the, the D1 baseball WhatsApp is blowing up and it's like it is, you know, for people that love college baseball, I've, I've said we need to do like a reality TV show about that someday. But it's so fun. You know, it's just uh, um, I, I in my you know, you get a little goofy right in these conference previews. It's a lot. You're up late. You're not sleeping great. And uh, George Mason has a catcher named Connor Dykstra and he led um he led the country in 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 hit by pitch last year and um i wrote that i was like you know he's one heck of a defender but most importantly he led america in hit by pitch and then i literally wrote in the conference preview uh uh not all heroes wear capes and so those guys were just smoking me in the whatsapp chat <laughs> like so that's really in one of our conference previews i was like you're you're, you're dang right it is uh what are some other storylines you're looking forward to before i let you go yeah, I would say um, I think it's really cool with the football players like Brody Brecht and Jay Wolfolk and Will Taylor, you know, at Iowa and 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 Virginia and Clemson, and then even Austin Overn. Like, these are kids, the four kids that are playing big time college football that that left scholarships behind to to participate in fall baseball to see what they could turn you know turn their baseball careers into. Um, so I you know I I think that's a really cool part of this. Um, you know, the, the new Big 12 will be very interesting. You mentioned the Pac-12 swan song. What's that look like? You know, I, I think the other thing is Wake and LSU are really interesting right now. Like Wake Forest and LSU are two programs that are operating at just crazy high levels right now. And I just I'm really curious to see what that looks like. You know, the year after, they're clearly very talented on paper, but they also lost some real dudes last year. So I'm I'm really curious to follow those two clubs. Love it. Love it. All right, sir. I know you got work to do, so get back to it. So thanks for jumping on with me, Runes. Always a pleasure, RB. Always a pleasure. Huge thanks to all of our sports writers for their hard work on the previews and rankings. The product on the field at the college baseball level has been building for a long time. I do hope that we get a first-time program this year in Omaha. I want to wish everyone a safe and successful season. Thanks again to Jim Richardson, John Litchfield, Zach Hale, Matt West, and Antonio Walker in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abc.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at CoachB underscore ABCA, or direct message me via the MyABC app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.